epistle lesson this morning. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that we might have hope. You may be seated. That's not our sermon text. It is a great verse that I love for a lot of reasons. The main one being that it tells us exactly why God caused his scriptures to be written. For our instruction, so that what might happen? That we might have hope. Hope is what the Advent season is all about. We're getting ready for Jesus. Last week, Pastor Fenske kicked off our sermon series talking about how we get ready for Jesus uh, through preparation. Next week, Pastor Fenske will be back up here again, and and he's going to teach us how to be patient. You'll have to wait for that. (laughs) People don't always get my jokes, so thank you for that. Usually they're not any funnier than that, so I understand. But today, we are going to be talking about penitence. And that gets us to our text for today, which is from the gospel lesson where Matthew says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're looking at the sermon outline, you'll notice that the sermon is divided into two roughly equal parts. The first part, I'm going to spend a little bit of time trying to give an explanation of of some of what was happening in the text. And then I want to try to apply some of that to our lives today. So what's happening in the text are those things uh, that are on the screen. We're going to start with what John did. What do you think? What did John the Baptist do? What was, what was the primary calling and task of John the Baptist? You might think you know. Let's see what, uh, what Matthew says about that. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. What did John do? He preached. Now, he also baptized, not trying to minimize that, but but that wasn't his primary task. His primary task was to do what he was doing, which was to preach. And and if you put that together with what was it that John wore, rough clothing is one way uh, to describe it. And what we get from that is who John was. He was a prophet. In a long line of prophets from the Old Testament, Although the prophetic voice had been silent now for, I think it was like 400 years. And now a prophet arises, John the Baptist. Maybe that helps us to understand the next one. Who was it who came to hear John? Everyone. Jerusalem, all of Judea, all people from the regions around the Jordan, To hear this prophet whom the Lord had raised up. So the voice of the Lord was once again being heard in Israel. The people flocked to see this prophet. 
and to hear what it was that this prophet had to say. And what was it that John preached? Repent. I'm not sure if that was the message they expected, but apparently it didn't keep them away because they kept coming. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's um, think about that, that word kingdom for a minute. If you want to, usually you're not invited, and we're going to invite you twice now in a service. If you want to pull out your smartphone, you can. You don't have to if you don't want to. You wouldn't anyway. But if you'd like to, pull it out and go to one of your map applications, Google Maps or Apple Maps, and type in there, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, somebody else type in your map application, Kingdom of God. Now, those of you who typed kingdom of, and I did both of these, by the way, those of you who, who typed in kingdom of, of Saudi Arabia, it's going to take you to a place in the Middle East. You can see it right there on the map. If you type in kingdom of God, your, your phone might still be searching. Or maybe, as mine did, after a little while, it, it came to the next best thing and, and settled on a church. It was 20 miles away from here, I think it said. I just glanced at this. But it had the word kingdom and it had the word God in it. And so, okay, that must be what you're talking about. What's the point? When we think of the kingdom of God, let's not be confused by thinking it must be a place, like the kingdom of Saudi Arabia or the kingdom of Jordan, two kingdoms in the Middle East. There aren't too many kingdoms around anymore, are there? But those are two. But the kingdom of God is everywhere because the kingdom of God is not a place it is an activity. It is, you maybe have heard this definition before, it is the rule of God in the hearts of people. It's what God is doing. And John is announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's right here. It's, it's, it's kind of here, and it's still coming. That's what he means. The rule of God has broken into the world of, of humans in the person of Jesus Christ. And John was preparing those humans to meet Jesus, to listen to him so they could be saved by him. So how does, how does one become a, a part of this kingdom of God? John has the answer for that, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent can mean turn or return turn away from sin, return to the Lord, turn from unbelief to faith. And that's pretty much how John was using it. He was talking to people primarily who were, they didn't, they had walked away from God and uh, they were not believers. And, and John is calling them back to the Lord, calling them to turn from unbelief to faith. That, that doesn't really describe us does it? The, the need to turn from unbelief to faith. It really doesn't because, because we have faith. Although we know that sometimes in our weakness of faith, we, we start to walk away from the Lord and, and then he calls us back. But just because we maybe don't fit the exact parameters that, that John had of the people to whom he was preaching, doesn't mean his call to repentance doesn't apply to us because it certainly does. The Lord calls to us each day to repent of our sin. 
Um, unfortunately, there are impediments to penitence. I had to practice say that's kind of a tongue twister, um, but impediments to penitence, but that's always been the case. That's why John was sent ahead of the Messiah to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his paths straight, to, to get all of those obstacles, all of those impediments out of the way, everything that stood between people and the Savior. And John said, that's what repentance is all about. So, what are some impediments to penitence? The first one, you know what, ignore what's on the screen. I, I think those are applicable, but, but I've thought of some that I think maybe apply to us a little bit more in our day and age, and, and you tell me if, if I'm right or wrong. Tell me afterwards. I think there might be two others. Well, we'll talk a little bit about pride and fear, I suppose. But I think there might be two others that, that stand more as impediments to us in, in genuine penitence, genuinely coming to the Lord with, with our hearts bare and open to Him. I think the first one might be, I didn't have a lot of time to figure this out, so it's a little rough, but I think the first one might be familiarity. How many times have we been told to repent? Every time we come to church, right, we confess our sins, and, 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 and good, we need to. But sometimes with familiarity, well, the more you hear things, sometimes the less you actually hear them. Let's not make that mistake today. And maybe the other impediment that's not on the screen is uh, there's probably a better way to say it, and this is a phrase that, that uh, a theologian coined about um, 70 or 80 years ago. Cheap grace is what I'm talking about. The familiarity of confession and, and hearing the words of forgiveness sometimes means that we just kind of take that for granted and, and oh, good. God forgives me, Jesus loves me, He died for me, and, and so um, we'll confess our sin because that's how we get forgiven. That's not the best theology, but that's what's in our mind quite often. We'll confess our sin because, because that's how we get forgiven. But repenting is different than confession. Penitence goes deeper than that. So penitence says we're not confessing our sin to be forgiven of it, but to be rid of it. Asking God to help us to do away with that sin and to get away from that sin. And sometimes maybe, maybe we're not so sure that, that we want to go quite that far. Maybe that's just a little too fanatical for us. So, back to pride and, and fear, we'll just touch on those uh, briefly then. We know, don't we, that, that our pride can certainly be an impediment to penitence. We, we, who wants to admit that they were wrong? And then also, fear. 
Now, certainly the, the part of the fear here is the, the vulnerability because uh, confessing our sins means admitting our guilt, and, and that invites judgment upon us. But, but honestly, because we, we have heard so often, and, and good, we've heard so often that, that Jesus' blood washes away our sin. We don't fear God's punishment so much anymore, do we? And, I, and well, he tells us not to. Perfect love drives out fear. But here's maybe a fear that we do have, and that echoes what I said before, so I'll just remind you of it. Penitence implies or maybe even requires change. Requires us to change our way of thinking, to change our way of acting, to leave behind a sin, and that kind of change can be fearsome indeed. So let's sum all that up. Now, with the impediments to penitence, pride and fear prompt us to say when confronted with our sin, well, it's not my fault. While genuine penitence prompts us to admit it's all my fault. And once we do that, we are on the path to penitence. And you see that the two words that are, are used there, hope and faith. Hope, over the years, has become one of my favorite words. Because hope always looks to the future. Hope always looks for something better. Hope looks to God. And we have hope that in spite of, of what we see around us, what is swirling around us, we have hope in Him. We have hope in Christ. Um, Isaiah in our Old Testament lesson. The word hope isn't here, but it's all over these words. Actually, the word hope, maybe you noticed that when Al was reading the epistle lesson, four times in just those few short verses in Romans chapter 15. St. Paul uses the word hope. They needed it then, just as much as we do now. And Isaiah, in his prophecy, which is filled with hope, is looking to a future that has not yet arrived. It, it hadn't come then. It still hasn't come. As I said before, the kingdom of God is at hand. It has started to come in the person of Jesus. It's not completely here yet. That will happen at the end of the age when, when Jesus returns. And, and when he returns, this kind of amazing Peace will be evident when the predator and the prey can be right next to each other without any kind of fear or any kind of violence. What would that look like in our day? This kind of agricultural um, picture might work uh, for us, but I, I was wondering, I wonder if it would be, if this would fit 
in a 21st century Isaiah? What about the Russians and the Chinese and the Americans are all going to get along? They'll have each other's best interests at heart, and they'll work together for a, for a peaceful world. Or the Israelis and the Palestinians will live side by side as sisters and brothers. <laughs> or the Democrats and the Republicans will be able to shake hands and mean it. Yeah, we can hope for those days, can't we? We know that day, well, there won't be Republicans and Democrats then, or Russians or Chinese or anything. There will just be children of God brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Well, we need to talk about faith. I said that we have hope in spite of what we see around us, but, but faith means we have hope because of what we see in the manger at Christmas, the cross on Good Friday, the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. Because we have that faith, we can look in hope to Jesus. Many of you were at um, Dave's funeral on Friday, and so you heard this. But I had asked the family when I met with them what kind of uh, scripture passages uh, comforted them and, and helped them in the ordeal that they were experiencing. And, and one of the ones, I'm pretty sure Brenda was the one um, who, who brought up. This is from Romans 10 chapters earlier than today's epistle lesson, Romans 5. That we rejoice in our sufferings. We could talk about that, but we're not going to now because I'm going to get to hope. Because suffering, paraphrasing now, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope without faith, wishful thinking. Faith without hope is empty indeed. The faith that God has given to each one of us gives us the humility to overcome our pride and the courage to overcome our fear so that we might have hope. And remember, that's why what was written in former days, in the scriptures, that's why it was written, that we might have hope. Amen. And the peace of God, the hope that comes with that, may that guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.